So today we're starting a short series on the minor prophets, you know, all those books from the Old Testament with weird sounding names that you never read, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Nahum, Micah, and all the rest of them. That's what we're going to be getting into. And there are 12 minor prophets, and in this series we're going to be looking at six of them, and then next year we'll do another little series where we'll look at the other six. But today we're going to get that set up. Uh, We're going to do an overview of prophecy in the Old Testament uh, so that we know what these books are and how to read them. Before we dive into the minor prophets, we need to know what prophecy is, who the prophets were, what their message was, and how they came to be prophets in the first place. And I've chosen a passage from Deuteronomy 18 as the backdrop Uh, But let's orientate ourselves with that first, because I'm guessing that Deuteronomy is not necessarily your go-to book of the Bible. So uh, to put it in historical context, Israel, the whole nation, had been enslaved in Egypt for around 400 years, at the end of which uh, Moses was sent to lead God's people out of slavery in Egypt in an event called the Exodus. That's why the second book of the Bible is called Exodus. It's all about Israel being freed from slavery in Egypt. And Israel traveled from Egypt to the Sinai Desert, and they were in and around the area of Mount Sinai for about a year. And it's at this time that God made a covenant with Israel. And a covenant is a kind of agreement, but think more in terms of marriage than some kind of business contract. And the rules of the covenant were set out in the law, the law of Moses. God was saying, this is what I will do for you if you keep my laws. But we know that Israel didn't keep God's laws. They kept breaking the covenant with their idolatry and unfaithfulness. So instead of entering the promised land, they ended up wandering around in the wilderness for about 40 years, uh, leading a nomadic existence. And that whole generation, everyone except for Joshua and Caleb, um, were disqualified from ever entering the promised land. So that generation died off, and a new generation has come through, and they are now on the verge of entering the promised land. They're right on the border. And Deuteronomy begins with Moses reading the law to this new generation. And the word Deuteronomy literally means second law. This is the second reading of the law. You see, Israel were about to enter the land of the Canaanites who are into all kinds of evil practices. Idol worship, child sacrifice, um, public acts of a sexual nature that were to do with the fertility cult trying to secure a good harvest, and that later led on to temple prostitution. They're into all kinds of occult practices, often with a view to discerning the future. Verse 14, the nations you will dispossess, listen to those who practice sorcery or divination. Using sorcery to determine the future might sound primitive, but it's surprisingly prevalent in our day. Uh, There's a huge range of Ouija boards and tarot cards available on Amazon. The ABC, that bastion of progressive thinking, published horoscopes in February of this year. 
Human beings have always resorted to superstition and the occult uh, to try to gain knowledge that God has chosen to keep hidden from us, um, especially knowledge of the future. The occult and spiritism in particular, according to one commentator, is trying to force an opening into a region which God sees fit to conceal from view. And it's a dangerous thing to do. When I was at school, uh, a group of people in my year group started to dabble with Ouija boards. And I remember talking to a friend of mine who was doing this and, and explaining that I thought it was quite a dangerous thing to do. And he got quite annoyed with me. And he said, don't be silly, we're, we're only contacting good spirits. I'm like, well, are you going to take that spirit's word for it that you've contacted through this Ouija board? Uh, when it comes to these kind of practices, people can be very naive and unwise, and I think a lot of people are drawn towards this sort of thing. But as Christians, we want nothing to do with it, principally because we worship a God who speaks today, just not through those means. So how does God speak? Well, God doesn't generally speak in a loud, audible voice. He did at Mount Sinai, but the Israelites were terrified. They asked God not to do it. They, they, they thought they would die if they, they kept hearing from God in that way. And God reminds them on this occasion that we've read about in Deuteronomy. God reminds them of that. God says at Horeb on the day of the assembly, Horeb is another word for Sinai, of the, uh, on the day of the assembly when you said, let us not hear the voice of the Lord our God, nor see this great fire anymore, or we will die. So we're not going to hear a big booming voice coming at us out of a cloud. But God speaks today in all kinds of ways. And two of the main ways that God speaks is through his word, the Bible, and through people, through other human beings. And that's what we see in this passage. They didn't have the Bible, but they had God's word in the form of the law. And in verse 15, Moses says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites, You must listen to him. It's interesting that Moses said, a prophet. And we'll come to the prophet towards the end, but I think you can guess who it is, Jesus, of course. But before we get there, this also points to the fact that God will um, raise up a long line of prophets in Israel to speak to the people on his behalf. And this brings us to the question, what is prophecy? And I looked up the dictionary definition, and this was the first thing that came up. It says the foretelling or prediction of things to come. And I think we do tend to think of prophecy as looking into the future, as if the prophets were these kind of divine fortune tellers. Certainly the New Testament makes lots of references to Old Testament prophecies that are fulfilled by Jesus. Uh, You only have to read the first three chapters of Matthew, the opening chapters of the New Testament, and it points you to prophecies about the virgin birth, uh, about um, the place of Jesus' birth being Bethlehem, uh, about the fact that Jesus was taken into exile in Egypt. You remember that Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus went to Egypt to avoid the wrath of Herod. Uh, It alludes to the Murder of the Innocents, when Herod had all the baby boys under the age of two killed in and around Bethlehem. And it uh, points us also to prophecies about the vocation of John the Baptist. That's all in the first three chapters of the New Testament. And we read this and we think, oh, that's what prophets did. They told people what was going to happen in the future. 
And it's true that some prophets did sometimes speak of future events, but that's not what prophecy is. The job description of a prophet is not seer of the future. Prophecy is speaking to people on God's behalf. Through the Holy Spirit, God gives certain people insight into what is on his heart, and he calls them to speak it out. And it shouldn't surprise us that God speaks in this way, because on the very first page of the Bible, we see that God has chosen to represent himself through human beings. That's what it means to be made in God's image. So who were the prophets, and what was their message? Well, the first prophet was Moses, and we're all familiar with the story. God appeared to Moses in a burning bush and sent him to the elders of Israel to tell them that he was going to lead his people out of slavery in Egypt. And to start with, Moses made all kinds of excuses. Firstly, he said, uh, what if they ask me your name? Seems like a pretty lame excuse, but that's what he said. God said, I am who I am. And then Moses said, but what if they don't listen to me? And then he uh, objected because he said, well, I'm, I'm not a very good speaker. I'm not articulate. I, uh, I'm not eloquent. The words don't roll off my tongue. And finally, he just said, please send someone else. So it sounds pathetic. <laughs> please send someone else. And I think a lot of Christians can identify with Moses here. I expect most of us at some point have made excuses when God has laid it on our hearts to do something. When I felt called to ordain ministry, my first thought was, they won't take me. I didn't think that someone with my past, my background could get ordained. And then I thought, well, we can't afford it. We wanted a young family. I thought, I'll be a student. We won't have any money. And when it looked increasingly likely that we would get ordained, and Tissa will remember these conversations, I thought, well, I can't preach every week. What am I going to say? And I like to think that if God had spoken to me out of a burning bush, I'd have been a bit more confident. But, you know, it's human nature to doubt ourselves. And I think Moses really shows us this. God has always used broken vessels to deposit the riches of his kingdom. God used ordinary people like you and me. And I think that's the best way to view the prophets. They were ordinary people that God used in the most extraordinary ways. So Moses was the first of a long line of prophets, and God established a covenant with Israel through Moses, the Mosaic Covenant. And he gave him the rules of the covenant, which are the law, the Ten Commandments, but there's also a lot more more to it than that. And the prophets who came after Moses spoke to Israel on God's behalf to show them how they were breaking the covenant. They were spoiling this special partnership that God had established with his people. Uh, The prophet spoke to Israel and said, here's how you're breaking the terms of the covenant. Look at all this idolatry and this injustice. This is not who God has called you to be. You're supposed to be different from the surrounding nations. And their message was one of warning and of hope. They basically said, if you fulfill the conditions of the covenant by obeying the law, things will go well for you. But if you don't, Here's what's going to happen. You're going to be conquered by another nation and you're going to be carried off into exile. So on the one hand, the prophets painted a rather bleak picture of Israel being taken back into captivity. And no one wanted that. They'd been freed from slavery in Egypt. And now they were risking 
being overrun by one of the world's superpowers at the time, the Assyrians, and then later the Babylonians. But in spite of this bleak picture, this warning that nobody heeded, the message of the prophets is ultimately one of tremendous hope. The prophet spoke of a day when God would restore his partnership with his people in spite of Israel's failures. They spoke of a day when God would renew the covenant, the covenant that was made, the special agreement at Mount Sinai. The prophet spoke of the time when that would be renewed. They spoke of a new covenant. And that's what the New Testament is. That's what it means, new covenant. So ultimately, those prophets all point to Jesus. So the biblical prophets were people who spoke on God's behalf, calling the nation back to the covenant, warning the people where their disobedience would lead them, and pointing forwards to Israel's ultimate hope, who we know to be Jesus. There were a long line of prophets, uh, from Moses all the way to Malachi. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. And for the most part, the the, uh, prophetic books are named after the prophets themselves. And there are five major prophetic books. There's uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel. But those are the books of the major prophets, not because they're more important, they're just larger volumes. And then you have the 12 minor prophets. And again, they're not less important, they're just smaller books. And it's these minor prophets that we're going to be focusing on on in this series and then again in another little series next year because these are the books that really uh, get left out, I think, uh, when we're studying the Bible, but they're really important. So those are the prophetic books. Um, But as you know, there are lots of other prophets mentioned in the Old Testament, Uh, people like Elijah and Elisha and Nathan and Deborah. Um, They didn't have books named after them. And collectively the prophets were a rather strange bunch of people. They were quite eccentric, a bit weird. They, they often did some very odd things. Uh, for example, Ezekiel once spent well over a year, 430 days, lying on his side in the dust to make his point. I mean, that is a very odd thing to do. If I spent a year lying on the ground, lying in a shrubbery outside Orion Shopping Centre, you would probably surmise that I'd lost the plot. So the prophets were pretty strange. And it has to be said that they're not easy to read. The great reformer Martin Luther, one of the best-known theologians from history, he said this, The prophets have an odd way of talking, like people who, instead of proceeding in an orderly manner, ramble off from one thing to the next so that you cannot make head or tail of them or see what they are getting at. But but part of the problem is that they wrote in dense poetry and used quite strange imagery. Uh, Scott recommended a book called Middlemarch, and I'm really glad that he recommended it. It's a great book. I'm reading it at the moment. But each chapter begins with a little poem. And I don't think I've understood one of those yet. I keep rereading them and thinking, what what does that mean? Poetry is not easy. And the cosmic imagery that's used is also hard to get our heads around. But actually, it shows us that the events of the prophet's day, and I quote um, the Bible project here, the events of the prophet's day fit into the bigger story of God's mission to bring down every corrupt and violent nation once and for all. 
so the message of the prophets was relevant in their time, but it's also relevant to us today. And actually, it's the, the kind of imagery, imagery that they use that, that helps to bridge that time gap. Uh, so given that the prophets were such an oddity, it's uh, not surprising that for the most part they weren't listened to. But doesn't God use the foolish things of this world to shame the wise? When I think of the prophets, it kind of reminds me of Gandhi. In uh, 1931, he arrived in England on a cold, wet October day, and he was a very eccentric character, freezing. And he's wearing nothing but a loincloth and a pair of sandals and refused to speak into any microphone. I saw some old footage of the event. And uh, one, uh, at one point, the reporter said, this bizarre little man who's come and has caused so much comment, complete with loincloth, spinning wheel and goat's milk. The focus was more on his idiosyncrasies than on the purpose of his visit. Gandalf was... Lo- uh, Gandalf? <laughs> Sorry. That's a... <laughs> no, not, not Gandalf. Gandhi <laughs> was, uh, been watching Lord of the Rings. Gandhi was laughed at to begin with, uh, but he heralded a change that would have a huge impact on Britain and its global influence. Uh, he heralded world changing events, and it was like that with the prophets. Uh, they weren't taken seriously, but they had a very important message. And it was only when Israel found themselves in exile in Babylon that anyone started to take notice. And that is why their writings were collected, copied, preserved, and added to the Hebrew scriptures uh, that we know to be the Old Testament. And then there's that test. How do you know if a prophet's a real prophet? How do you know? Uh, Well, verse 22 says this, You may say to yourselves, how can we know when a message has not been spoken by the Lord? And the answer is this, if, if what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. So the prophets were vindicated by history. What they said would happen, happened. The problem was there were lots of false prophets around at the same time, and they were saying, oh, don't worry, everything's going to be okay. You're not going to be conquered by these foreign nations. God will protect us. Don't listen to these portents of doom. And this is one of the great problems of our world, isn't it? That human beings listen to the wrong voices. God speaks. God speaks today. But the world is deaf to his voice. So does prophecy still exist today? Well, at the end of Deuteronomy, it says this. Since then, no prophet has arisen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. And we might say, yeah, but in our reading today, the Lord says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites, and I'll put my words in his mouth. He will tell them everything I command him. So at the beginning of Deuteronomy, God says, I will raise up a prophet like Moses. And at the end of Deuteronomy, it says, no prophet has arisen in Israel like Moses. And actually, this is looking back retrospectively on the whole of the Old Testament. So we're left thinking, well, where's this prophet? who is like Moses. And in the first century, Israel were expecting and anticipating the final prophet, who we know to be Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate prophet, priest, 
and king. You hear a lot about prophets, priests, and kings in the Old Testament. And Jesus perfectly fulfills the role of each. We'll probably do a sermon on that on its own at some point. Prophet, priest, and king. But Jesus isn't walking around the Holy Land today proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Although, in a sense, he is. Because Jesus is present in the world in and through his spirit-filled church. And so the church is called to be a prophetic voice to the world. So what is this prophetic message that the church has to proclaim? Well, just like the message of the Old Testament prophets, it's one of warning and hope. Warning of the sin that destroys lives, that holds us captive, that separates us from God, and the hope of forgiveness and everlasting life through Jesus Christ. That is the prophetic message that the church is to proclaim to the world. Of course, there are individual gifts of prophecy within the church. Uh, We haven't got time to look at that today, but again, we, we will again at some point. But hopefully we've got a better understanding of what prophecy is, who the prophets were, what their message was, and why it's still relevant to us today. And next week, we'll be starting with the first of the minor prophets, uh, Hosea. Uh, Very interesting character. We'll be picking a passage from Hosea and trying to get our heads around these minor prophets. But let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much that you speak to us and uh, you spoke through the prophets. And we pray that you will help us to see just how relevant that message is today. And it's incredible that a message that was spoken by numerous people thousands of years ago is still uh, relevant and still speaks to us today. And we pray that we will recognize the, uh, recognize our vocation to be a prophetic voice in the world, a voice of warning and hope, warning people of sin and separation from God, giving people the hope of everlasting life in Christ Jesus. So we pray that you'll fill us with your spirit and help us to do that in Jesus' name. Amen.